welcome everybody. This is the June um, edition of the Silicon Valley Speechwriters Roundtable conference call. And today we're in conversation with Bob Sands on the topic of sermons. And this is a very, uh, in a way, uh, appropriate because the vital speeches of the day with David Murray, who's on the line, has just published a Professional Speechwriters Association white paper titled The Provocation from the Pulpit, Dead Preachers Challenge Living Speechwriters. I'm sure we'll get into that later in the call. Um, and just to give you some background, Bob is a speaker and a speechwriter who's helped people um, and businesses tailor and tell their stories for the last 25 years. He's a pastor. He's been an entrepreneur, or maybe is still, a coach and a radio broadcaster. And currently, he's focusing his time on helping individuals, businesses, and organizations clarify and communicate their message. He's got his own freelance business, Sans Communication, and he's given over 5,000 presentations himself to every kind of group, from funeral directors, firefighters, to CEOs, and he's coached and written keynote speeches for executives, helped salespeople hone their speaking skills. And uh, as he was just saying, he, he's a sixth generation native Floridian, as he says, having gotten off the ark with Noah. So. Uh, not a literal interpretation of the Bible, I'm sure there, Bob, but welcome to the Speechwriters Roundtable. No, it's not. Somebody actually challenged me on that. I said, no, I, am, I did not get off of the ark with Noah. Sometimes I feel like it, but I, I did not. So. Yeah, be yeah. Besides, that was Thank in, so where was that? Somewhere in Turkey, right? They think they've discovered the... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Somewhere. I anyway. haven't seen it, though, personally. Yeah. Okay. Well, t tell me a little more about your background and... and uh, how long have you been a minister? How long have you been involved in that aspect of, of speaking? Uh, well, I actually was ordained about 20, 20 plus years ago and uh, had, had actually started uh, pastoring a church and was a pastor there, but always had my, my hands sort of in, in other things. Communications always fascinated me, and as somebody that is uh, uh, as a practitioner, I guess, we have to, as preachers, prepare uh, at least one talk a week uh, and try to inspire the same audience. That's always interesting. You know, it's a little easier before uh, YouTube um, because you could, you know, uh, you could get away with using somebody else's joke, but now you, know, you now you got to be careful. But uh, bottom line is, is that we have to do this every week. And so I've always been fascinated with the communication, the speech writing element, persuasion, and, and what does it take, whether it's, it's telling a story or, or something like that. And so it became sort of a natural thing for me. Once I did some more radio and things like that, people started asking, saying, hey, could you help me? I've got to put together a talk. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And so that's where it sort of morphed into uh, this business of, of speech writing and communications consulting. Yeah. And, and he, I mean, you raise an interesting point that as a minister, you are given, uh, I mean, presumably, some period of time between 10 minutes and two hours, however long your typical sermons last, uh, I doubt they last two hours, but maybe in Victorian times they did. Um, but, and it would be a skill presumably found in every parish uh, across this country and throughout, you know, where I'm from in England and Europe. Do you know other ministers who are speechwriters? Is that like a natural fit for some of the uh, people that you know? Well, not, not really, because I think that... Um, you know, for me, I've always functioned in uh, what, what they call between two worlds. So I've always had my, my feet firmly planted in not only that sort of, you know, theological world, but also the real world. And I think that it has it's helped me become 
uh, you become a, a better communicator where I'm reaching people where they're at. I think that so often people go to seminary, they go to whatever the school is, their particular faith or uh, their particular religion, um, you know, uses to whatever the methodology is for them as far as training. So they, they will come away with a lot of really sort of heady intellectual stuff. And meanwhile, it doesn't help the average person that's sitting in their congregation. And so I've always sought to try to be between both worlds. There was a, a, another uh, preacher years ago, uh, that British gentleman by the name of John R.W. Stott. And John Stott wrote a book on preaching quite a number of years ago called Between Two Worlds. And he said that uh, in, in my particular faith, he said in, the, in the, the, the preacher's world, he said he ought to have he ought to have his Bible next to his newspaper and be reading both just as much. And I thought that was interesting. And so I've kind of always gone by, by having my feet firmly planted in, in both of those worlds. And so it's been good. It's been good on both ends for me. And so, no, but I, I don't believe that there are a lot of people, a lot of preachers that are out there that are doing this kind of thing. You know, I've always yeah. tried to be an entrepreneur too. So it's an, it's an interesting question though. I, I'd be interested to know. I haven't heard of anybody. Yeah, I, th- I think I saw a tweet from somebody out there who was asking that question, and I, I didn't follow through to see what kind of responses he gets. But, yeah, I, I don't think it, it is that common, yet, as you say, ministers, various denominations do present themselves, uh, you know, in that environment. Um, what kind of lessons would you say you've learned from writing a sermon every week, as you say, to the pretty much the same audience that's most useful as a speechwriter when you come to – uh, work with commercial clients. <laughs> well, I, I think that I think that you know you have to. Uh, be, I, there's a lot of discussion today about being authentic, and I, I love when people talk about that. They say, "Well, uh, how do I be authentic?" Well, I don't. I can't. I can't teach anybody that. You have to. You have to be yourself. And I think that as you get more comfortable, you can do that because people can sense when you're not when you're not being uh, authentic and you're, you're trying to come off as something different than you really are. And so when you're speaking the same audience, you can't fake that from week to week. Eventually they see through that. But I think it becomes a powerful communication moment when you are able to be yourself and it's one person communicating uh, to others. I, you know, I, 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 I'll give you an example. I think I was talking with someone the other day about this, and I, I posted a um, – uh, I think it was up on Twitter – it was a uh, it was a video of Joel Osteen's first sermon. Joel Osteen, for you better or worse, whatever anybody thinks of him, has got a you know really large church there in Lakewood. And I'm not here to discuss the theology or you know uh, anything like that. But 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 Osteen gave his first sermon, and it it was he was fumbling, looking at his notes. He, he I mean he was looking down. He was hesitant. And if you watch him now. He just blinks, and he looks like he's staring off into space. It was because of that first sermon that he did, he started writing those things out and memorizing them word for word. Well, you know, anybody that does that, it can get very, very sort of stilted, and it can seem where it, that it's not authentic. And uh, so it's interesting to sort of, to sort of watch that. So I, I think that the authenticity of, of being yourself, because uh, another guy by the name of Phyllis, Phyllis Brooks that was a, a, a preacher used to say that preaching – is truth through personality, but I think speech. I think speech writing and, and speaking is too. It is. It is the truth that I'm giving because there's really nothing that's really a lot of new information. But if it is even new, you're going to be communicating it 
in your own sort of way. And I think that that's the thing that I've learned to just be myself, to be prepared, but to be myself because they're coming, they're connected to me. They're coming to hear what I have to say. And I think that's really important. Yeah, and, and just to drill down a bit more on that, though, when you use rhetorical devices, I mean, I think one of the things I've read in various books on speech writing is, you know, back 100 years ago and for centuries before that, or even less than 100 years ago, public speakers like politicians could draw on biblical phrases because they knew pretty much everybody in the country was familiar with them. Um, nowadays, you know, um, not so many people maybe consistently would know references in the Bible or other scriptures. And do, do you find that you kind of wear, you said between two worlds, do you wear two hats, one where you can draw on that long tradition of quoting uh, well-known verses and the other way you have to be careful not to make assumptions about what the audience would know or not know in the commercial world or in the secular world? Yes, I, and, and I think that's true. Um, I think that Andy Stanley probably has the best view of this, and, and people will get offended, you know, depending on where they come from in this area of theology. But I think it's interesting because what, what Annie Stanley will do, what, you know, preachers used to get up and they would say, and you can see the, you can see the televangelists doing this. They're pointing, you know, their fingers into the, uh, into the camera saying the Bible says, well, but okay, so what? You know, it used to be that you could say that and people would go, oh, but now, so what he'll do is he'll quote like St. Paul and he'll say, one of Jesus' disciples, Mark, or the prophet Isaiah, or, you know, they'll, he'll refer to the people themselves and not necessarily, you know, this. this. So because, because we know the literacy part of that is, is sort of gone, and that's not a, it's not a condemnation or a comment on our society. It's just where we are. And I think it's important, an important part of this, Ian, is that, is that uh, again, a lesson that we as preachers have to learn to make sure that we actually know our people. One of the problems that happens with preachers is because they think they know their audience because it's the same audience week to week. They have a tendency not to be as careful communicating with them, and so they miss the changing, the changing winds and time, and so sometimes it's not as fresh. That's why you've got to be reading the newspaper or be, you know, in our case, on the, uh, you know, on the Internet and opening up news sites and knowing what's going on. So I think that you have to be sensitive to know where the audience is at and start there. And, uh, and, and then you can, like, bring them along, but you've got to figure out, assume what, you can't make any assumptions. It's a very yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's switch gears a little. Uh, we've mentioned the fact that you do, um, you are a freelance speechwriter. And, and what, what, can you give me a, is there a typical client? And where do you find clients? How do you build your business? And, you know, is it word of okay. mouth? or do you, how, how does that work? Well, it, it, it's actually word of my mouth, I should say. Um, you know, it's funny. I, try, I did an analysis of where my clients come from, and it's pretty interesting. Most of my clients will either come from, from referral or they have either heard me speak at a meeting themselves or they have read something that I have, that I have written. That has been the, the key thing. Almost every speech that I would give in a service club or – an organization, or it could have been an association meeting that was a paid uh, speaking gig for me, I will invariably get some kind of business as a result of that, where somebody will either say, hey, can you come in and speak to my organization? Can you do training? Or can you help me do what you do? 
And so a lot of it is done like that. The typical client, they're, they're all over the place. They could be uh, – I have one guy that's a CEO um, that is a regular CEO, so he'll call me at the, you know, at the last minute usually and say, I need, I need a speech. Uh, you know, I'll have a couple of days to do it. And, uh, and then I have others that will – you know, there, there's regulars, and then I'll get people that will come. It will be a, a one-off. But I've got that regular sort of stable of people that call me you know, um, on a normal basis to do things. And, again, they could be CEOs, C-suite people, entrepreneurs. Um, and I've got an entrepreneur right now that I'm working with that's trying to uh, sell a product. So we're putting together uh, almost an entire seminar for him. So it just depends. Well, it's interesting what you said a second ago about you. whenever you give a speech at, like, a service organization uh, quite often you'll get business. And it reminds me of what uh, up in Vancouver, Cullen Morehouse, uh, who's spoken at Reagan Communications Speechwriters Conference is about this as a freelancer. He's often given, you know, free talks on various topics. Is, is that something, how often do you find yourself giving those kind of presentations and what are you, what are you presenting on? Are you presenting on speechwriting or are you talking about more substantive, uh, you know, different topics? Well, I, you know, for me, a lot of times it depends on uh, if the organization. Now, what happens is the organizations will, will most of the time they're they're calling me. Uh, I don't really go out looking for it. So there'll be, you know, a couple times. Uh, sometimes it'll average out a couple times a month. I'm doing it. Then I may not do any for a few months. Uh, but, but for for me, when I go in, I will do something on communication, on emotional intelligence, something like that. But a lot of times it'll be. It'll be on, you know, on, on, you know, five steps to better communication in the in the workplace because I'm I'm fronting myself as a as a communications consultant, so I may go in and just be coaching them, and maybe there's a conflict situation, so it may not just be speech writing, but but I think even you know I heard a story real quick uh, years ago of a of a, a gentleman who sold swimming pools. And what he did is he went in and gave a, 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 a motivational speech. He was in the motivation stuff, gave a couple of motivational speeches uh, at some civic organizations. He did, he did three of those, and he got a contract for a large, uh, a large development to put in, you know, an Olympic-sized swimming pool that everybody was going to be using, and he got it as a result of giving that speech, and it wasn't on his, his particular topic. But what happens is people look at you – as an authority, when you're up there able to command an audience, people are still scared of speaking. So when you're able to actually do that, people look at you as an automatic authority uh, figure and somebody that is credible, and so they go, hey, I'm going to do a swimming pool. I remember that guy was in the swimming pool business, and that's what happened. And the guy got a lot of his business like that. Very interesting. Swimming pool contractor speaking. Yeah. Yeah, well, it works, obviously. It works. Swimming, swimming pool contractors, speech writers, and I think what you, you mentioned there, you, you, you speak on conflict situations. And I know one of the aspects that you focused on social media as well as on your bio is you, you counseled the bereaved and worked with people facing mm. loss. So what lessons can you share for a writer's task with drafting a speech on a tough topic? say, like company-wide layoffs or PR crisis. Did, what kind of, do you have lessons there about which have arisen from difficult conversations you've had to have with individuals? Yes, I, and, and, and again, I think the biggest thing is, and I don't know why this is so difficult, but tell the truth. I mean, you know, that, I, I think that, you know, all of us especially, we all have BS detectors. And 
people know when you're being either just not being authentic and true and you're trying to spin a situation. I think that obviously you have to take great care and how you're, you're communicating the truth. But, I, you know, I've, I've had to tell people that their loved ones, you know, are, are dying. I've had to, you know, give – I've had to officiate at funerals. Uh, I speak once a year, by the way, at a, um, on the board for this Florida Initiative for Suicide Prevention. And so every year I speak at their conference. And everybody that's in the room is, uh, have, has had a loved one that has lost their lives uh, due to suicide. And so it's always, a, you know, an interesting conversation. And I, but I, you know, I kind of start where they are, but I, I think that, you know, the biggest thing is, is making sure that you're telling the truth. Don't try to spin anything. Be, be, be as clear and as empathetic as you possibly can, but don't spin. For crying out loud, don't spin. It's the worst thing that you can do because it, 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 it's, it, it doesn't do anybody any good. Right, right. Uh, it's exactly right, yeah. Well, you know, I mentioned in the introduction, and, and he's on the line, we'll hear from him, I'm sure, when we open up the lines in a few minutes, but David Murray with the Professional Speechwriters Association has published this interesting white paper on what speechwriters can learn from speakers, uh, sorry, from pe- preachers. And what was your takeaway from that? If you had to highlight one, I mean, I think he lists six or, six or so challenges or interesting ideas that have changed uh, how he thinks about speech writing and speech writers based on sermons. What was your takeaway from that white paper? What would you point people to in it? Well, well, what was interesting about the white paper, I will tell you that I downloaded it and I read it and I was, I was riveted going through it. I was like, I, I thought this, this guy's from the professional, you know, the PSA professional speech writers association. And he gets what preachers are going through. Now, what was interesting was the book that it was based on was uh was and and david i know is on the line and maybe in a few minutes he can talk about this but but i know that i know for a fact that it was taken from dr d martin lloyd jones's book who was a pastor of westminster chapel um and uh lloyd jones was uh was a great pulpiteer interestingly enough was a medical doctor um and didn't have any formal uh seminary training but you know i uh, when i had when i had gone through uh and and looked at this there was just I, I think the you know the, the 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 authenticity part. I love the part about story. And I'm I'm big into storytelling, but I love his storytelling is not next to godliness. I think that you know um, that that sometimes now, as much as a big emphasis is on storytelling, I don't know that people fully understand what that is. My dad used to say some uh, some preachers are condominium preachers. They build their sermon story by story, and I thought that was quite interesting because. Sometimes it's really, you know, you can wrap, as long as you're getting to the truth, it's okay, but you want it to illustrate it. You don't want it, uh, you know, necessarily uh, to, um, you know, to be the whole thing. And I think his other point that he made on there is the fact that the call to action, uh, you know, is not necessarily the holy grail. I love that because, you know, I think that sometimes we're trying to, you know, craft this specific call to action. And I've had people leave a, a sermon before and they've gone man bob i really like that point you made on thus and so and i'm thinking to myself that's i don't remember saying that you know and so so it's interesting that sometimes what we think is a specific call to action somebody else is going to take something different away so uh you know i i think again that's that you know that that getting back to uh to the message itself and how important it is so i i thought that he was dead on when he wrote this now again i shouldn't you know i'm I'm being a little bit facetious when I, not facetious, but the fact that he called it, um, you know, the provocation 
from the pulpit, Dead Preachers Challenge, Living Speechwriters, and uh, I thought it was really good. Although I'm not a dead preacher, but I think that uh, I think there are intersecting worlds here that are absolutely uh, fantastic, and we can actually we can actually learn from each other. I've learned so much uh, from from speechwriters themselves, and from you know from listening to to, to good speechwriters uh, that have also allowed me to be a better communicator. So I, I love okay. it. I mean, I, I, I said we'd wait until you know we've, we've finished our part of the conversation, but I think it's very appropriate, David. If you're if you're there at the phone, um, can you give us your view, perspective on the white paper and and what impressed you about the world of the preacher? Yeah, I mean, I um, I thought uh, Lloyd Lloyd Jones's piece was was fantastic i found it because i needed to find it because uh we uh so at the professional speechers association um we also publish vital speeches of the day magazine which has been around for about 80 years um and and, and is the the great collection of speeches every single month um and we decided to launch another um sort of do a brand extension and launch a thing called vital sermons which can be which will be uh open for business in a little in a, a couple months uh, which the best way to, to kind of think of that is, is to to imagine kind of a TED talks but just with sermons so in order to launch that I had to get much more conversant than I was with sermons and the business of uh, the study of homiletics a term that I didn't even know going into this which is the study of writing homilies um, and so I got to know not just Lloyd Jones but um, but I got to know a number of um, uh, homiletics professors, um, one of whom is this woman named Alice McKenzie, who is an absolute. I, I, I watched, I, and actually, I actually sat down and watched three hours of her lecturing um, on on homiletics, uh, which that's <laughs> that's something. Um, and she's just absolutely brilliant. So I, I and she she talks about. She introduced an idea to me that I, I want her to come and speak at the speechwriters conference uh, at our world conference uh, in a couple of years. Um, basically, she said, you know, it, it was it was all about storytelling. Uh, storytelling was so the new thing uh, up until uh, recently, and she says. The problem with storytelling is it, is it does kind of rely, especially biblical storytelling, it relies on a knowledge of the Bible. Um, and we can, she said we can't rely on, on people who come to church to have an, a very good working knowledge of the Bible. And so she's, she says, says we're down to images. We're down mm-hmm. not just to stories, but, but pa- we're just painting scenes. We're painting pictures for people that are meaningful and that we give meaning to and that they can take home as a snapshot that means something to them and, and that stories are, are sort of too elaborate. And then she, of course, goes back and talks about how Martin Luther used to do this exact mm-hmm. same technique and, and all, a number of great preachers since then. So I discovered a whole world um, of of thinking about this and it was so refreshing to me because I've been around the speech writing business for a zillion years and you know it's easy for me to begin to think ah maybe I've maybe I've kind of heard it all in this area uh, or most of it anyway and so it was I think the world of getting acquainted with the world of preaching um, and the world of homiletics was was really good for me and I and it's a pleasure and a privilege to kind of introduce that to speechwriters who may also think they've they've kind of heard it all uh, in the speechwriting business. So it's been fascinating. 
So that, yeah, I mean, I'm curious to know then you're, how, I mean, I, I don't really know how you select vital speeches. There must be a, if it's 80 years in, in operation, there, there must be a well-worn kind of uh, system there. But how on earth would you select vital sermons? I mean, <laughs> are, you go, are you going to recruit a congregation member from across every congregation in the I'm country? Gonna, I'm going to lean, lean really heavily on Bob Sands. That's what I'm going to do. No, I'm going. I actually, Bob is going to be uh, heavily involved in our in our organization, um, and uh, which I'm just tick- tickled to to have be the case, um, because I, I was I've been kind of looking for somebody with a speechwriting mindset who cared about preaching, um, because partly because I don't have a, a great background in preaching myself, um, but it's going to be uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, vital speeches are chosen for a number of criteria. Uh, if, 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 there's, if I read a speech that makes it just, just a great speech, it goes into vital speeches, no matter, I don't care if it's about, you know, um, a, a certain kind of moss growing in South America. Um, but, but, and, and if it's a, a hugely important speech, if it's the State of the Union address, it's going into mm-hmm. vital speeches. Um, if it's a speech that's really that you'd really want to have in a time capsule because it says everything or says a lot about what's going on in, a, in the contemporary world, it goes into vital speeches. But vital speeches, to a great extent, is sort of it's a much more it's going to be a it's a much le- less contemporaneous uh, publication. Speechwriters love it, um, and li- libraries love it, and pe- scholars in the future love it. Um, those are really the, the, the big fans of vital speeches. Vital sermons will, will have to be much more uh, topical. So we'll be, we'll be finding and looking for sermons uh, unapologetically that are contemporary, that are on, really on contemporary issues. I loved what you said, Bob, about having that newspaper right there. I mean, I want people yeah. to go, oh, n- not only am I watching this sermon because it's good, uh, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm watching or listening to it or reading it because it's about opiates. It's about mm-hmm. children getting separated from their families. Uh, it's about, yeah. you know, it's, this is something we're thinking about now, and I'm going to take you into a church or a synagogue um, or, or, mm-hmm. a, or a mosque, and we're going we're gonna to hear somebody talk compellingly about this. And, 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 uh, and it's going to be really, really hard to find something that's great every single week but that's our that's our job go ahead go ahead Bob no no I'm just gonna just gonna add uh, if there's really anything to add what what uh, what I like about what David wants to do with vital sermons is also you know I I, I don't I'm gonna give you some interesting stats now and this is just coming from the church perspective so I can't speak to the synagogues or to the mosques but on the church perspective the average church has less than 90 people attending across denominational lines in the christian church uh, across the united states so when we see the big mega churches they're uh, they're they're uh you know sort of a an anomaly they're not the norm but the but the normal men and women who are giving sermons and i think it was uh i'm going to quote kind of uh, paraphrase david here we talked about you know the the average person that's out there, and they're giving a very contemporary message, just like on what David was just saying, something like, uh, you know, uh, separating children from their parents or things like that. And it's really, really good, but meanwhile, only, you know, three people showed up. That doesn't mean the sermon's not good, and it may be something that needs to go on to vital sermons. So it's actually going to be, a, you know, a good thing to sort of 
hone in and, and, and get some people that maybe we, we have never heard of. And they're, you know, they're somewhere uh, laboring in virtual anonymity that nobody's heard of, but they're in their community and they're addressing issues and they're, they're trying to be transformative in their communication and they're inspirational and they're working hard every week. And I, I think that, you know, there'll be a, a, a broader platform for them. And I think it's, it's a good thing because it, it, sermons are very much in the moment. And uh, I know, I think David and I had a conversation about this, because a lot of times uh, uh, when we're trained in homiletics, most homiletics professors do not teach you to write your sermon out word for word. They teach you to go from an outline, because honestly, something could change so quickly on something that you're speaking on that you can walk in and you're going to have to kind of, you know, be a little bit more extemporaneous with it. So that's where I think it's interesting that so many speechwriters, we're going word for word, and a lot of pastors don't manuscript their messages. And if they do, they leave the manuscript in the study. I, I would say probably 80% don't read them. So. And, Bob, just to interject, um, you know, speechwriters, uh, I hear speechwriters often complain uh, at, our, at our conferences and seminars that their speakers always wanting to make changes at the last minute. Um, and, mm-hmm. I, and I kind of, I, I appreciate their pain because they've been trying to get this jerk's attention for the last <laughs> two months while they've been writing the speech, and now the last five minutes, he or she wants to change it while it's on the prompter. But at least I, what I appreciate about that is, like, at least the speaker gets that. At least the speaker sort of cares enough to be uh, to to realize that at the moment, you know, it just doesn't feel right to say that because I'm looking at the audience right now and it's different and it's and something happened today in the news or there's just a mood in the room. And yes, you wish the person had participated a little bit more in preparation, but I think it's also a sign of somebody who really cares about reaching an audience in that moment in that day. Um, that that the person is making those last minute changes, and, and I think a very good point there is too. We have to. It's a good point where uh, where us speech writers have to put the ego on hold and realize, wait a minute, they're the speaker, so they're going to do what they're going to do. You know, as much as difficult as it was for us to write those words, and then they're like, what are they changing it for? What are they, you know, it's uh, it's. And I think I probably as a preacher understand that a little bit more because again, it's that true through personality thing. So yeah, yeah, important. So. So that, that raises the question, is, is the vital sermon going to be as written but left in the, in the minister's office? Or, I mean, are you looking for sermons that somebody in the audience switches on their iPhone, records it, and you get it transcribed? Uh, isn't that a bit yeah, of a challenge? Yeah, we're, 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 we're accepting sermons um, from, our, from our members, our contributors, in, all, in, in, in video, audio, or in, just in, in the written form. Um, you know, we, we want to create this, turn this into, you know, we, we want to make this something that's very popular. So it's going to be, if you want to be, become the Sermon of the Week, um, you are, you're pretty much compelled to have video recorded it or at least audio recorded it so that people can enjoy it in their cars. I want this, we want this to be nothing less than um, something that's kind of, kind of a national or international sermon every week that that people that's that's sort of these sermons are chosen to be popular they're chosen to be to be broadly compelling um and so yeah i think we're gonna we'll accept all those but um we're gonna want it to be videoed better than somebody with an iphone and a lot of churches are making good videotapes these days or videotapes videos and uh and making good recordings and um so yeah that that'll we'll certainly be favoring that as i said it's it's going to be 
as close to the TED Talks of sermons as we can possibly make it. And, um, and there may be a moment where we find a great sermon that's badly recorded and we ask them to, to re-record it. Um, we're we're going to do whatever it takes. That's great. <clears throat> well, it sounds like a, a fascinating development. Obviously, sermons have been delivered for centuries, and uh, it's interesting that you're going to broaden the uh you, you want to cast a wide net you know obviously you said you mentioned mosques as well as synagogues yep. and christian churches um it'd be fascinating i'm kind of reminded of you know garrison keeler in lake Wobegon, where he he would uh create fictitious disputes between one obscure branch of the minnesotan lutheran church <laughs> and the other one because they disagree about some bible first but uh hopefully there'll be an ecumenical so, uh, broad net here, cast to it. Um, I hope so. I mean, I, I have I, my my background is more in oral oral history, um, and so I think of this as one segment of oral history. I think of vital speeches as a segment of oral history, um, and I think of this as one. And, and there are, there are a number of other ones that I'd like to to kind of get involved in because um, yeah yeah so. Well, let, let's uh, take a second before we open it up to because there's four or five other people, six or people on the phone who we haven't heard from yet. I'm sure they have lots of comments, questions. But I did want to touch on uh, with Bob. You know, you mentioned a second ago, or David did, about you know the TED talk, the the, the re- repurposing a speech uh, for the me- for the multimedia world. Um, and Bob, you've embraced podcasting, radio. And social media, I just checked your Twitter account. You've tweeted 18.7 thousand tweets. And, and, I, and I believe you have a pretty active podcast. Um, can you just give us your perspective on that as far as it uh, might be something that speechwriters should be familiar with and consider? Yeah, well, and, and I will say I'm, I'm, re- I'm reworking on the podcast. I'm going to make some changes on that because for a while it was just me uh, talking. So I'm working on how I'm going to sort of uh, reworked out right now, but yes, I'm I'm active on on social media. Um, I don't know, eighteen thousand tweets. I didn't even realize it was that many. That may just mean I'm I don't know, but that's uh, it's pretty interesting. I didn't realize it was that many on there. But I, you know, I um, I really think that that today the you know these are three platforms that we have. So if you're a preacher, you're trying to get a message out. It doesn't, it doesn't even be that. I mean, you know, any kind of message that you're trying to get out, you could be an entrepreneur. If we're not using these particular platforms, and especially depending on the age bracket, there are folks who say, well, I don't, I don't see the need to be on Instagram. That's for the, the younger kids. Well, there's a lot of brands that are on Instagram. Now, I'm on Instagram, and there are people that are doing blogging actually on Instagram. And uh, you can make, you know, wonderful use of, of up to 20 hashtags on, uh, you know, on Instagram. Use 20 hashtags on Twitter and people are going to be really ticked at you. But, uh, you know, you can use two or three. But uh, I, I think that, you know, these are platforms that are out there that are free, whether it's YouTube, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of those kinds of things. Uh, I think that we have to embrace them and we have to look at them and say, okay, you know, how, what's the best way to utilize this particular thing? And I, I think that, that too, you know, you'll get somebody the other day said, said, call me a social media expert. And two minutes later, I said, well, first of all, I'm, I wasn't a social media expert two minutes ago, but I'm really not now because that's how quickly it changes. You know, I don't know that there's any such thing as a, as a social media expert, but I think that we, 
you know, we grow with the platforms. We find what's going to be, um, you know, what's going to work for us. And I have, um, I have gotten business also on Twitter on, and, and, uh, and via Facebook. I think it's just a matter of knowing, learning how to use the platforms and experimenting with them. Podcasting, if you are an audio person like I am, I think is, is great. Blogging on YouTube, if, if you're um, you know, a video person, I, I like to say I have a face for radio, so I'd rather do audio, but we do video at the church every week. Uh, our, our messages are up uh, on, on the YouTube channel for the church. And so, um, so I, I, I really think finding out what your best avenue is, if it's audio, you know, audio or, or video, to utilize those platforms because I think they can be a business, they can get your message out, they can promote your nonprofit. They can they can do all of that, and uh, so I think it's really important for folks to do that. I think sometimes, um, depending on, again on the age as well. I don't I don't want to get involved in social media. It's a it's a horrible thing. But what I tell folks all the time is the next time you're standing in line, the next time that you are in a restaurant, don't judge it, but take a look and tell me what people are doing. You're driving down the street today. If there's four people in a car, you hope the driver's not doing it. But you look, you look over at the automobile and everybody's got their face down on their phones. The attention is out there on social media, and so I think it's going to, going to the marketplace where the people are. So it's definitely important. Let's open it up. We, we heard from David earlier. Maybe you've got more comments, David. But uh, anybody else on the line, uh, press star six to unmute yourself and, uh, you know, go for it. Ask. Uh, you know, Bob, uh, comments or uh, questions you might have about anything he's discussed. Hey, Bob. Um, my name is Nate Osborne. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi, Nate. Hey, Bob. Um, I'm a speechwriter, and I know David fairly well, um, and I've written for some cabinet-level folks in the Obama administration. Um, cool. Both my father and my grandfather were um, preachers, and um, okay. I sat I sat listening to them give um, sermons three times a week for 30 to 45 minutes, and I kind of think that's how I started writing for the ear um, and why I approached this profession. But my question is related to that. Um, you know, I've written for politicians um, mostly and now for a head of a nonprofit. And do you think that over time that – and this is just kind of something that's been curious for me – do you think over time that, like, giving speeches – has become the skill of giving speeches has become less of a necessary um, skill set for CEOs and politicians over the past I don't know fifty hundred years um, just because it seems to be that successful politicians prior to that time were people who could give good speeches and who could you know more intrinsically have that skill set so I'm just curious if you have seen that sort of divergence from a historical perspective whereas for preachers today i mean it's still a core skill set giving you know speeches slash sermons whereas for ceos and politicians maybe it's been sort of an outsourced sort of skill set um a general question but i was hoping you could just comment on that a bit more no it, i think it's a great question the the uh the, the thing that I think is interesting, and let me back up a little bit, uh, something I was going to say before and then tie this in. You know, way, way back, you know, the Little House on the Prairie days, uh, the church was at the center of the, uh, you know, of the town, of the village, and everybody came there and they got their news, and the, the preacher was the most educated person next to the doctor, 
you know, in town and, 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 and knew everybody. And so people were depending on, on that preacher for, uh, to talk to them about the news and a lot of other things that were going on. So, uh, you know, I, I think that we still have, uh, you know, a lot of that as far as the church is concerned. When, when you look at the different avenues of communication today, I think, you know, with the, the media with given way to YouTube and, um, and the fact that I can, right now I can record a message to everybody right on my phone, uh, and send it out to hundreds of people. Uh, I, I think that that's where people are are saying that 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 public speaking may have fallen on hard times, and we don't need it as much today. I do think, though, that the skills made uh, of the speaker uh, are still necessary, and they can be transferred. They're transferable skills to audio and to video. There's a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know whether a lot of you have heard of him. He's kind of taken the internet by storm and and uh, interesting guy but he came up with this phraseology where he tells people uh, document don't create so stop trying to create content for the internet and document what you're doing well I think it's given way to a bunch of unskilled people that are talking about what they ate and talking about what they're what they're doing and so I, I see a tendency where people are blogging about about their lives and all of that so I think it has you know, everybody's a star. Everybody, everybody has a platform. You know, and just, just, just because everybody has a platform doesn't mean everybody should use it because they're not equipped enough to do it. So I, but, but I do believe that the CEOs of, of, of yesteryear, because they were the main sort of, um, they were the face. They were the one that everybody was looking to. And as you said, now in these days, it has become more outsourced. I don't think this speech itself is ever going to go away, but I think as speech writers, one of the things we're going to have to do is figure out how to uh, navigate this and, and teach those skills and use those skills for people that will transfer them. Maybe they're not going to be in front of a live audience with 100 people in the room, but it may be you know, 2,000 that they're going to be speaking to uh, on the Internet. And so um, I think it's changing. And by the way, Nate, the church is changing too. I, I have, uh, you know, as much as this will, will probably scare people, first of all, I don't, the average that I speak now is no more than 30 minutes, and I think probably it's better to go about 20. As you said, you grew up, it must have been like a Baptist setting. Was it a Baptist setting you were in? Uh, pretty close, more conservative than Baptist. Okay. okay. All right, so was it three times a week? Uh, you know, at 45 minutes, that was uh, – I heard a guy say one time that you should speak for an hour and 15 minutes, and I'm like, good Lord, people will be seeing visions themselves if you talk for an hour and 15 minutes. I mean, it's just – you know. But, uh, but I think it's changed all the way around. It's starting to change into the church now because I see more pastors going for sort of the, uh, the fireside chat look where they're having a conversation and not doing an actual sermon. But I think the communication skills – themselves are transferable and need to be. We still, we still are going to need those no matter what the medium. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Nate. Um, anybody else have any comments for Bob? This is David. Um, I would add to just uh, sort of underline what Bob said there. Um, you know, I, I hear a lot of speechwriters uh, talking about um, – they're frustrated because their speaker is good in small settings and more informal settings, and when that person gives up, gets up to give a speech, becomes much less impressive. 
I think speechwriter, or because it becomes stiff and and um, and all that, I, I think speechwriters can really do themselves and their speakers a big favor by taking really taking more responsibility for complete responsibility for expressing the best of that person um, to the or to the all audiences who care. So um, I've seen you know so first of all you know a few video clips of a speech on social media to express, hey, the speech was given, here are the highlights. But even more inventive than that, the Prime Minister of Australia um, just did like a, um, I just saw this uh, a video, he's just, it just opens and he's sitting on a commuter train and he's answering questions mm-hmm. from, that, that citizens have and talking about what's, what's happening in the country in a really casual, set, cool setting like that, uh, really low key. Um, there's a video that's going around right now. The I think it's the Dutch Prime Minister. Um, he's, he spills a cup of coffee in it, like at the, he- at the at the headquarters, and uh, he he gets a mop and he cleans it up himself. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's just it's the kind of stuff that I always I'm always hearing speechwriters say. My speaker is so cool. My speaker is so good and nice and warm and personable and has all these great stories. But then all the stuff that I produce for the speaker is, is stiff and corporate. I, I think that I think we should take responsibility for finding ways to, to show and express uh, who these people are, and it's and it is through sort of recording um, recording them in in their real life and their real work life. Well, and and, and I think I, I think what David has said is important too because you know Ian, I came at this kind of like uh, uh, Barbara that was on last month. You know, I have come to the speech writing thing as reversed. You know, I came in as a speaker first who does speech writing. And I think there's a certain element where I have always, David made reference to this, this sort of oral style. And, you know, I think that um, we, we develop sermons uh, more orally than anything else. And so I, I have often taken people who try to capture their voice and I've actually had them, you know, maybe uh, do an outline and, Sort of just speak something into the into you know my iPhone, and then I will have it transcribed to try to capture their voice where it's a little more natural and it's not as stiff. Uh, it, and sometimes that you know we're able to make that make that kind of uh, bridge that gap because it's it, it it can be very difficult because you want them to not be stiff because again if it's not really authentic and it's not their words and it's not their style they're going to come off as stiff in front of the audience already. And I, and I also think, too, we have to have them – that's why we have to also be good at at least be giving a speech or two occasionally, not necessarily be totally adept at it, but kind of knowing what the speaker is going through up there uh, and learning to sort of adapt is a, is a real, good, uh, you know, real good thing for us. So just getting out there, even though speechwriters may be introverts, and giving a speech occasionally themselves – it's a good thing to be an actual practitioner of it because uh, I think you learn a lot by by that too. A lot of the pitfalls. I think it was um, trying to think of uh, one of the speechwriters for Peggy Noonan when she first came out with her book on on uh, on speaking. She talked about how terrified she was of it. And I thought, man, you wrote speeches for Reagan and you were ter- you're terrified of speaking. And she really she really was. And she had written some of the some of Reagan's biggest speeches at that point when she made that comment. So it's interesting that uh, I think there's probably a lot of speech writers out there. I don't know how many, but it'd be interesting to see how many regularly give speeches themselves. 
Yeah, that's that's right, um, Bob. I just wanted to reinforce to people um, what Barbara Giardini said. Uh, you can find it on my blog, the recording, where she really highlighted the value she found as a speaker who also writes. Uh, that, and, and also to mention, you, you, you did touch on the fact that you can use an iPhone to record <clears throat> your principal in conversation and then use that. <clears throat> There's a tool that uh, Pete Wiseman told me about. He's a, a thought leadership uh, coach and speech writer. Um, I think I believe he's from Atlanta. And there's a great tool, which I've owned multiple of these now, called the Light Scribe Pen. And it's a bit geeky. It's a, it's a quite a fat-looking fountain pen, or sorry, ballpoint pen, that um, has a recording device built into it. And if you start using that when you're meeting with your principal, just to take notes, as we all would, we'd all take notes. Um, it's wonderful because you can, you know, sometimes I've found that the principal will sometimes launch into, well, what I really want to say is that, 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 and no matter how fast you write, unless you've got shorthand, you're not going to get that verbatim, and that's what you'd like to put in the speech. Using the LightScribe pen, you just tap the page. It's kind of magical. At that point, on any page, on any notebook, you know, there's various, you have to buy special notebooks that come with them. Mm -hmm. uh, you can get them all on Amazon, and the pen is around $100. The notebooks are typical priced, but they've got special printed pages, and it, it's Quite a useful tool. If you're not familiar with it, you just check it out. It might be worth getting. Ian, that's the light bright pen or the light? It's called it's called light, like L-I-G-H-T, scribe, S-C-R-I-B-E. Okay. And uh, I've got dozens of their notebooks here. Uh, sorry, sorry, live scribe. Let me correct that. Live, L-I-V-E, S-C-R-I-B-E. Live scribe. I don't know why I called it light scribe. I was thinking of lightsabers maybe. But... Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a little geeky, but uh, very easy to use. You just have to remember to carry a spare uh, ink cartridge with you, because if that runs out in the middle, it'll still record, but of course you can't, you can't read what you're writing. And uh, just look online, you'll see, you can upload it all to your laptop and have the image of the pages you've, you've written notes on, and uh, together with the audio, uh, I've used it actually to create podcasts where I extract the audio and edit it in Audacity. Lots of options there, but it's, it's, a, it's a neat little tool that Pete Wiseman's used as well, and I think uh, it's it worth checking out if you're a speechwriter. I have a question. Um, any of those tools? Like, but, um, this is Mike Field at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Hi. Uh, Hi. Bob, I'm a Presbyterian, and, and so my context of hearing sermons is um, it's sort of overlaid with two things. First of all, there's always passages of the Bible that are read prior to the sermon. And second of all, we're somewhere in the liturgical calendar. So we, we're either right. approaching Easter or departing or approaching Christmas or something. So there's, it's contextually heavy when the, the minister stands up to make that you know, sermon. There's, there's a lot that's sort of already laying out there and on the ground. And I, I just wonder, I've often wondered about this, is like, do you have any ideas about how that might be applicable to non-religious speech writing that, um, you know, it's almost sort of like when you open a book and someone's chosen to, you know, put a quote by Goethe at the start before you start reading the book. I, I, I find it a fascinating right. thing. I just don't know how you'd apply it to, for instance, the university president standing up to speak. 
Yes. I, well, the thing is, is that I, you know, for us, and again, I'm not, uh, I haven't been in liturgical uh, churches, but interestingly enough, I have followed uh, the calendar at times because you know you have to come up with a new, a new sermon basically every week. So if you're if you're speaking, you know, if I'm off, if I take two Sundays off, I'm speaking fifty, you know, fifty Sundays a year. So you have to get ideas uh, from somewhere. Uh, but folks who are following, you know, the liturgy is always, like you said, it can get very, very heavy. Uh, let, me, let me ask you a quick question on this. How long does your Presbyterian uh, minister speak? How long is their sermon? You no, know, we, we're, we're in and out in an hour. So, so that gives them about 20 minutes, you know, three hymns, okay, so, yeah. readings. And, yeah, yeah. That, it, it's, all, it's all pretty typical, isn't it? It's, it, it's funny because each, each particular denomination sort of has their own their own thing that they do, uh, but you'll find that 20 minutes, uh, you know, pretty important. I, I think that there are, you know, I, I look at the church calendar as, as sort of seasonal, and so, uh, so again, uh, you know, I, I think the contemporary idea of what's going on at the moment, so in the church calendar, if it's Advent or if it's Easter or if it's Pentecost or something like that, um, I'm always looking for ways to tie all of the stuff in as the, you know, as to what is happening at that time. So I think there is, I don't know how I would say with a university president, but I think that the, the idea of, of, of the contextualization of where you are at that point, kind of the, the context and then the connection that has to occur and, and connecting sort of what's going on at the moment is a really, really important thing. That's why I, I said I've, I've sometimes gone into you know, uh, into the church and getting ready to go up to give the, the sermon and suddenly, you know, I get a, a notification that, you know, that there's been an earthquake somewhere and I'm speaking on some different topic and I'm suddenly changing, a, you know, a line or a note because I speak from very, very few, um, very few notes. I prepare a, a big outline, but I'm, I'm a guy that uses a half a page, eight and a half by five and a half uh, notes and I don't use a pulpit. So I'm kind of moving around a little bit, um, but uh, but I, I do think, and I don't know whether I'm really answering your question, but I think that that there's sort of the, that contextualization and the and the con, you know, the connection to that, uh, you know, you can I think you can often make with, uh, you know, in, in, in sort of a uh, in sort of the, the quote unquote secular world versus the the Christian world. So, hmm. thank you. I'd be curious thank if you. anyone else had any thoughts on that. Anybody? I guess that's a no. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> it's an interesting question. I may. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to mull that one over a little bit more because I think there's. Uh, I think there's something there, you know, to uh, to talk further about because I, I think it's a it's a good question. Hmm. A- any any other comments or questions or observations about this? Um, before we close, of course. It wouldn't be uh, appropriate to have a, uh, a sermon without passing the collection plate around. <laughs> and uh, I'd just take a moment, if I can indulge the congregation on this call. Uh, I run the Speechwriters Roundtable for about a half a dozen years now on meetup.com, and there is actually a cost to this. It's not earth-shattering. It's about 180 bucks a year that I pay in meetup fees. But if you look at the Meetup homepage, you'll see I, I started what I'm calling a fundraising raffle. 
And I had, uh, courtesy of our local Goodwill store, <laughs> I nearly fell over when I walked in and I found mint copies, mint hardback copies of Counselor by Ted Sorensen, Each a Mighty Voice, A Century of Speeches from the Commonwealth Club of California, and then uh, also a complete fifth season on DVDs of The West Wing. So these three priceless items, which I paid about four bucks for in the Goodwill store, are actually genuine uh, value to speechwriters. And um, I've offered them, if you would like to join in the raffle, a very good odds at the moment, which is another way of saying I'd hardly anybody respond. Uh, I'm doing this by the end of June, so another about 10 days. Uh, go to the meetup page for speechwriting, uh, uh, Silicon Valley Speechwriters Roundtable, and either click, yes, you want to go to the fundraising raffle. It's not obviously an event. Or you click on a PayPal link. And uh, it's $10 a ticket, and each of these valuable items will be, I'll be drawing the names at random at the end of the month. So that's my little uh, collection plate uh, request for uh, people on the call. Um, I guess it's tin cupping is another way of calling. And, and Bob, uh, just to close off, you know, share with us your, your kind of summary statements or any, anything else that occurred to you on the call. Well, I, I just wanted to say this real quick, Ian. Uh, $10 is a deal uh, based on that televangelist that was trying to raise money to get a $58 million uh, jet. This is good. 10 bucks is, is easy. So that's a, that's a good thing. So, yeah, I like yeah. that. And they're all good resources. No, I, I, <laughs> right, exactly. So you're actually getting, getting something real for it. That's a good thing. So, no, I, I so much appreciate the opportunity to be on here because I think that I think that um, often, uh, you know, these seem to be two separate worlds, this world of, of, of the sermon and, and speech writing, and yet I believe that they are, are two worlds that sort of that, that converge, that us understanding, uh, understanding one another is really, really important uh, because it is, it is two worlds, but I think that we, we have to step into both of them, and I know that's, that's what I've had to do, and I appreciate somebody else uh, recognizing that, and uh, I'm also excited about, uh, you know, just for uh, the, the upcoming plug of Vital Sermons, once this thing is, is rocking and rolling, I'm, I'm really excited about what that's going to do uh, to sort of continue to enhance the, the importance of this uh, to society and, and the transformation and, and uh, you know, a, a place for people to, to hear these important messages from across, you know, across uh, uh, across all type of uh, not only denominations but religions and faith themselves, and so I think it's an an important uh, intersecting worlds. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity and people's questions and the discussion. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you. But thanks everybody for dialing in today, and uh, look out for another call in July. And uh, have a great afternoon. <laughs>